Collaborative Community Resilience, brought to you by Urbanist Malaysia. My name is Yasmin Lane. Join us as we get to know individuals, communities and organisations who are working together to cultivate community resilience. Each episode, we will explore different aspects of resilience and learn more about inspiring initiatives happening on the ground and connect the dots of collaborations. If we do it alone, maybe our success rate is to one community, to small group or community, and that's not sustainable over time. And so to, to make any program last, you know, I think this is where uh, doing it together uh, will be better. This week on the show, we have EPIC. EPIC stands for Extraordinary People Impacting Communities. They believe in building relationships and restoring dignity and self-belief so that people believe in their own talent and capacity to make a difference in their own lives. And they do this by building homes. Today on our podcast, we have Nixon Tan, the Partnership and Business Development Lead of Epic Communities. He will be sharing more about how Epic has expanded their services during this pandemic and their experience in community development and community resilience. So we started uh, about 10 years ago. Um, looking uh, for community-driven projects where uh, we mobilize volunteers to, to uh, bridge different communities together. So mainly on bridging urban and rural communities. And at that time, the, the first community that we went into was the Orang Asli people in Peninsula Malaysia. So um, since then, we, we have worked with the Orang Asli uh, quite a fair bit um, starting with building homes uh, under the Epic Homes uh, movement. Uh, and at this point in time, uh, Epic has uh, kind of expanded into uh, various sort of uh, services where we're looking at um, training, we're looking at community development, um, placemaking uh, efforts, and uh, also uh, not only rural areas, but uh, in urban communities as well. At the start of the pandemic, EPIC reached out to help the communities they work with by forming the COVID-19 Collective for the Orang Asli, a platform that facilitates aid and provides transparent information on mapping out villages in need. The collective is currently made up of 10 organisations, including Missy Bantu A, Global Peace Foundation and 4x4 Relief Malaysia. I was interested to find out more about how this really great initiative was mobilized, so we called in Ching Yi, project manager of EPIC's Collective for a to join us and explain how it works further. Uh, I think uh, Nixon has covered the background of EPIC in that uh, for EPIC homes specifically, we mobilize uh, groups of people from cities to go into Aran Asli uh, communities to build homes. So when the pandemic and the MCO happened, this was obviously something we could no longer do because it's like a large group activity, right? So what Epic, and Epic ended up like quote unquote pivoting to was partly born out of necessity, which is the OA collective for Orang Asli. So basic needs for the community became a lot less accessible, not just because they were not allowed to travel out of their kampongs, but uh, also because most of them earned daily wages and jobs like that were the first to get hit. So um, Jaqua themselves and established NGOs like uh, Center for Orang Asli Concerns, they uh, very quickly mobilized food aid when we were in the thick of the MCO and we ourselves were also doing this. So every NGO, uh, including ourselves, have a community that uh, we work very closely with. But as with uh, many other areas of community work, a lot of these things were done in silo. 
And the disadvantages of doing things in silo are, are many, but the main one we were concerned about are communities that are off the radar and then will subsequently get left behind. So we thought, how can everyone's goodwill and efforts come together in the most effective way? And so then the collective was born. And we call it a collective precisely because it's a gathering of every and any organization or group involved in uh, Orang Asli work, and we come together to share our knowledge, experiences, and resources. And everyone uh, gets to carry on doing their work as they see fit. So Epic uh, is actually acting as a coordinator. So examples of uh, what good we have seen is uh, Missy Bantu OA, uh, they received uh, a huge donation of uh, soaps and uh, they had completed doing their own relief work in their own community. And so they opened up this resource to other NGOs who had plans to do the same with their own community. Uh, we also learned that the Orang Asli don't necessarily have access to information like the hand washing technique using a hand sanitizer or how to use a mask. So it's been a very eye-opening and good learning opportunity for us all when we consider the relief work that we are doing with our communities. So we started out with Jakoa's uh, 2018 census database to build the collective. So that's the most updated one that they currently have. So understandably, with uh, the community being quite geographically fragmented and some areas are harder to reach than others, uh, it's really not an easy task. And it's not like running the census yearly with urban folks, as you can imagine. Yeah, so we fill the gaps and we update what they have with information we get from the collective. So for example, like COAC or Misibantu OA, they will let us know like, okay, in these villages, uh, what's the pop latest population numbers? What is the most immediate need that they have? So we have things like coordinates, latest numbers in population, contact details of the Pok Batin or Ketua Kampung. So in this way, work can be done a lot more effectively. So yeah, that's in a nutshell of what the collective is about. We also wanted to know about how the collective builds up their stakeholders. I guess in terms of stakeholders, number one, it's uh, definitely Jakoa. So we have an official agreement with them that we would help build this database. And we have permission to access uh, kampongs and to talk to the specific uh, officers of each district. Uh, and also, uh, I guess anyone who's part of the collective is also a stakeholder. La, so they feed information back to us, they share their experiences and knowledge with us. Ching Yi also talks about the long-term goals for the movement. For collective, we've already transitioned. So during the first few months, it was obviously a very focused on relief work. So sending in food baskets was the priority. Uh, at the moment, we've already transitioned into a recovery phase. And all our recovery programs, which I can uh, describe uh, or introduce a little bit more, uh, more later, is that uh, most of them are planned to run until end of the year. And we are going to analyze and monitor progress uh, until early next year and hopefully definitely this will be a long-term thing it was so inspiring to learn about the collective and all the things they've done if you want to learn more and pitch in um, you can go to their sedunia website which is their impact platform so just type in sedunia.me that's sedunia.me and the collective button will be there quite prominently chingy also shared about how they helped communities with fundraising using this platform so um, I think I also want to touch a little bit about, since you mentioned the fundraising, which is not something that we are really actively doing at the moment, but it was uh, going quite full steam during the relief phase. Uh, this was also done on Sedunia. Sedunia has also a uh, fundraising function. So uh, from March until now, we managed to raise about 150,000 ringgit, uh, half of which we've already mobilized for uh, mostly food aid. 
And it's not just for Epic's use, but also for anyone in the collective's use. So that's uh, how we try to coordinate and ease uh, everyone else's work as well. Like they don't really have to worry about having to do their own fundraising. So uh, anyone in the collective can apply to use these funds for their own work. So um, we are quite heartened to see that uh, there has not been a short supply of funds, obviously during this very difficult time from fellow Malaysians, uh, but also people wanting to put in the effort to just like really turun padang and help. And this will, will, something, uh, will be something that will go in uh, to do quite actively now that uh, it's a little bit less restricted now, our movements are. The scale and impact of the collective of the EOA is so huge and so impressive. How did you go about mobilizing and organizing that and getting all that data? Well, I can't, um, we have like a quite a big team working behind this. So I can't claim to, to have been the one to build a database. It was only like a group of three people, I think, just working day and night with a really huge like spreadsheet, <laughs> calling up people and getting uh, the latest information. But it's still an ongoing effort. It's not like we close the database and that's it, you know, like we are still getting new information on quite a regular basis. We get calls from the Pengurusis or the Tokbatin themselves. Uh, letting us know what's going on in their villages. So yeah, everyone is, is really chipping in. Epic has also started moving into community projects that focuses on recovery and rebuilding. We wanted to hear more from Nixon about what these projects entail. Yeah, so in the community rebuilding uh, efforts, so how it came about was actually in a series of uh, thought process where um, during MCO, the, the urgency is ready to, to bring food on the table. Um, that's why uh, food baskets, relief work is, is really crucial at that time. Um, but as, as it goes on, uh, we're also thinking that, um, you know, what happens uh, in the next phase, right? Right. When, people, when things starting to open up, um, will the community able to just bounce back to their normal lives or their daily lives. More likely, it, it won't be that way because there, there will be a transition where things start to kind of normalize and uh, start to recover and get stable again. So the idea of a community recovery, uh, moving from relief work, is to look at what does uh, a community need? What are the pillars that actually support uh, a community to uh, be more resilient uh, on their own? So under our program, we try to be as holistic as possible, um, but we have not covered every single part. Some of the pillars that we are actually looking at is uh, food security, health and hygiene area, education, and also socioeconomic uh, empowerment. So we think that these few areas are quite crucial uh, in order to pro provide like a support system so that they can transition back to uh, normal life. So it, at this juncture right now, we are in the midst of uh, starting to execute these plans uh, with pilot communities, uh, with the RSL as well, um, under these pillars. Yeah. Even for, for us, uh, when, when we all get to lockdown, uh, we, we start reflecting how we live our life. Uh, in the urban areas as well, we're not considered resilient as compared to rural villages. Um, because a lot of things are not working when, when things are under lockdown. So we start to reevaluate you know, how we live and, and this is a chance to bring up uh, what, what actually matters most for communities. Um, how do we live more sustainably? Um, that's why uh, the idea of um, 
actually going back to our old, old lifestyle doesn't work now. Uh, in another pandemic, we will experience the same difficulties. So uh, how do we build back better in a in sense that uh, how do we look at those core uh, necessities and principles and, and, and help to support that layer starting from now so that we can face another you know, adversity in the future better. So as we know, this experience has really made us redefine normal, what that means. And it's great that Epic are focusing on what communities really need uh, to become more resilient and more sustainable as well. Since Epic has been done such extensive community work, I wanted to know what people tend to overlook when doing community projects and how do they ensure the continuity of their projects? There's, yeah, I think there's many different approach um, doing community, uh, community work. Um, in terms of uh, our approach in community development, we, we really emphasize on the engagement and the participation of, of the community themselves because uh, they are the one that, that will be impacted uh, by any solution or, or the, the problems that uh, are at hand. So we believe in uh, getting them involved in participating or at least uh, being consulted through the process to uh, come up with a, with a contextual solution that, that could um, help them address those issues. So um, the process is really important where, where uh, is, you need to actually look at it uh, holistically and, and long-term. Um, I think a lot of momentum usually can get built up during like, you know, implementing uh, stage. Um, and, and then it can lose out very easily as well. I guess that's what makes Epic so successful in executing their projects. Uh, it's the time that they take to get to know the community and work together to achieve their goals. Um, so I know that Epic has been working on a community development toolkit. Um, am I okay to share that here? Uh, we're quite excited, although uh, the toolkit is uh, still in the internal development stage. Um, but we're quite excited uh, to uh, actually get more people involved uh, and share about this idea. Uh, because in the past, we did uh, facilitate uh, different sort of activities with community. The idea is really to make it uh, simple and accessible for community to, to imagine themselves leading their development uh, uh, by themselves. Uh, because most of the time, uh, we don't have that opportunity. It's, it's mostly predetermined already by uh, usually top-down uh, development approach. Um, but uh, our goal is to really set a precedence that that uh, community can actually uh, you know take charge of their their neighborhoods, their development, um, and we develop this simple toolkit to facilitate that process. So it, it's called uh, Spark Cards. Um, and the idea of it was to spark conversations and, and spark ideas uh, among the community. Uh, it's not a new thing because uh, elsewhere in the world, uh, there are uh, local government who already adopted this and, and uh, basically uh, getting the uh, lay people to be involved in, in this process. And it can be a fun process where people run different activities and then they they come out with uh, ideas to solve certain issues within their community, um, or they can uh, come up with ideas to enhance the livability of their neighborhoods, things like that. 
Um, so we're quite excited to to um, actually yeah get different people to to chip in uh, and give feedback, and uh, hopefully we can uh, launch this uh, soon with with the community that we're working with. Some people might say that collaboration is a little tricky to do. Um, and it's really great to see how you guys have managed it so well. Could you share a little bit of maybe advice for people thinking of collaborating, but not sure how to go about doing it or have some concerns? I think for us, uh, I mean, Epic is, uh, it's really all about collaboration just within the team and also with uh, different organizations outside, as you can see with the collective. And if I can touch a little bit about the recovery programs that we have in the four areas that Nixon mentioned, uh, food security, healthcare and hygiene, education and social economic empowerment. We don't claim to be experts in any of that. And in all of these pillars or focus areas, we have um, uh, partners who are experts in this. And our expertise here is being able to uh, have, we have that relationship with the Oranasli community. So we help them bridge the gap. So I think, um, I, yeah, I think so far in my experience, we've not found any difficulty working together. <laughs> I don't know if it sounds too, too ideal or anything, but um, we, we, let, we let our partners do what they do best and we just chip in when it comes to the interests of the Orang Asli, uh, gauging their, um, I guess, readiness levels of accepting the programs that we want to implement in their communities and um, ensuring that they have uh, their own agency over their lifestyles and the place that they live in. Yes, it's almost, I guess, experimental. And I know it sounds really scary because with big programs, normally you, you want to have like uh, really detailed plans. And we do have that, but you have to go in with a mindset that um, our approach is going to be received differently with, uh, with different communities. And so we can just pivot <laughs> as flexibly as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think exactly um, just wanting to add on uh, Chengyi's uh, answer. So exactly, I think the, the approach uh, that, that organizations doing community work, we, we should be very open and transparent uh, and I'm moving in because uh, yes, we can uh, do one part of the equation and then try to solve that, that particular need. But um, we, we can't just look at things uh, very narrow-minded uh, because if you want to achieve like, you know, complex issues like that, uh, definitely a, a collaborative uh, model need to happen. And uh, with more people, of course, people will be a bit more uh, uh, afraid to, to actually face uh, all these conversations, all these uh, kind of conflicts that may arise. Uh, but having that that mindset to focus on that bigger picture, on that uh, bigger goal, is is important. And and sometimes we do have to compromise and and in order to work together. Yeah, and yeah, just for closing, wise. Uh, yeah, I really thank you for for this opportunity that uh, that uh, you all have given us, and and to be part of this podcast series. And yeah, I think uh, having. Uh, Collaboration, collaboration, sharing um, openly uh, is really important because uh, it's not uh, about like you know you're doing it for fame or you're doing it for for publicity. But uh, at the end of the day, we do want to see impact, and uh, we can learn from each other. Uh, 
on on what's the best practices and and sometimes we we got to say that okay we did this wrong and and we need to fix uh, the way we do things I think on my end, uh, from our work with the collective, we realized that um, the committee is actually very resilient and super resourceful. And it's some, sometimes we tend to forget that. So I think from my experience, uh, we, we realized that a lot of the villages during the MCO, they self-organize blockades to prevent people from coming into their village and you know, potentially bringing viruses in. Uh, and, and this is a fun fact that some villages have their own AJK pertahanan. <laughs> so they, they were quite diligent in practicing uh, social distancing, even when people were coming in and receiving the food aid. It, yeah, they could really um, organize themselves in a way that we, we, I guess we take for granted that they don't know how to do these things. Uh, and then um, I think with the kids, especially uh, with limited, limited access to school or some of them getting pulled out of school, some of the villagers' children came together in households that did have internet access. And then they share, you know, share all the uh, online materials that they got and do their homework together. So it's really nice to hear these stories from the communities that we work with. Thank you, Nixon and Xinyi, for sharing stories of resilience from the work that you do through EPIC. We loved having you on the show and we hope that we can collaborate more in the future. If you want to hear more stories of communities helping each other build up resilience, check out the CCR platform that's Collaborative Community Resilience and share more initiatives we can learn from and expand further together. <laughs>